and turn to Revelation chapter 6. Revelation chapter 6. For those with us first time, I'll tell you that last fall, this spring, we preached a, a great deal from Revelation and we took a break. We took the first three chapters and so we're going to pick it back up today from the book of the Revelation. Revelation chapter 6. In the 1970s and early 1980s, I served as Minister of Music and Youth. And I'm just going to tell you clearly, those two positions don't go together, but we put them together. But one of the things that I did as a youth minister was what Brother Kevin did this week. And that is plan a youth retreat or youth camp. Back in those days, we didn't really have the group things like like our kids went to this week. And that you'll hear about at 5 o'clock today when you come. But literally, I had to plan it from scratch. And every time I attempted to plan a youth retreat, a youth event, a youth uh, camp, I always wanted to bring everybody at the camp, not just the young people, the young people, the adults, everybody. I wanted to bring them face-to-face with Jesus, face-to-face with eternity, face-to-face with the templeness of this place, face-to-face of what lies ahead, face-to-face with the gospel. And the way I went about this is I generally would have somebody come in as camp pastor. And just to, for transparency, this was 70s and 80s. We were young. And most of the time, Brother James Messer, some of you know, was camp pastor. And uh, this did a great job. But on Friday night before the bonfire, I would always show a movie. The movie was entitled A Thief in the Night. Has anybody ever seen that movie? There we go. A few. Thief in the Night. It was made in 1972, and it was a depiction of the rapture and how it would transpire on earth. It showed, it showed the massive scenes about how, the, with the chaos, confusion, and what have you, but it centered on a girl named Patty And a boy named Jim, who met during the movie, got to know each other, fell in love, and got married. Well, Jim had a bout with a cobra snake and just about died. And that made him sensitive to the gospel because a gospel preacher came in and had prayed for him and he had survived. Patty had spent her life in church, was a member of a church, and it's one of these churches that says you just do your best and hope for the best. The preacher, that gospel preacher, came to their home one night and shared the gospel. Jim received Christ. Patty rejected Christ. As we look into this part of Revelation today, I think it would be informative and instructive for you to see the first two minutes of that movie. But I want to tell you before, you can go ahead and turn the lights off, uh, Tate. Just hang on just a second, Mitch. Before we do these two minutes, let me say this to you. This is a very dated movie. Dated. You'll you'll see a radio sitting on a on a bedstand. It will come on and it will have the morning news on it. Be kind of the bathroom. You'll see a razor with a wire on it, not a cordless, but a wired razor. 
And you will hear, go ahead, Mitch. Do you remember the wind-up clocks? And you will hear the clock. Don't hear the style. Hear the message. Two will be taken. Two will be working in the field, one taken and one left. Did you get that message? Jim prayed to receive Christ. Patty rejected Christ. Jim was taken. Patty was left. The movie had a couple of sequences. The one that I bring to your attention is one called A Distant Thunder. It's the title of the message today, and you'll see why. Just a second. Some of you will say, Brother Jerry, why in the world did you begin a message like this today? How, why did you bring it? Why did you do it just like this? And here's why. I believe it's my heart, right or wrong, that we have lost the connection. We have lost the touch with this spiritual reality that life is coming to an end, there is nothing left on the prophetic calendar before the rapture. We've forgotten that the world is temporary. We've forgotten that this life will pass away. We've forgotten that whether we are taken or left depends not on the church membership we have, but on how and what we have done with Jesus. And we have forgotten that the decision is made here and now. The second verse of brethren we have met to worship says says this. Brothers, see poor sinners around you, slumbering on the brink of woe. Death is coming. Hell is moving. Can we bear, can you bear to let them go? 
Our Lord Jesus couldn't bear to let us go, so He left heaven and He came to earth. He lived, He died, He rose again, He ascended to heaven. Now He intercedes for us at the right hand of the Father to make a way for us. The question today is, is going to be in front of us. Can you let yourself go if you have no relationship with Jesus? It doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. It only matters what He knows. Can you let yourself go like that? And then can you let your neighbors go? As we dive into Revelation, let's read our text because this is striking text this morning. We're going to read the first eight verses of Revelation 6 if you can. And Will, would you stand to honor the reading of God's holy word? John is writing. Jesus is dictating and he's seeing. And John says, Then I saw the Lamb open one of the seven seals. And I heard one of the four living creatures say with a voice, here it is, like thunder. Come. I looked, and there was a white horse. Its rider held a bow. A crown was given to him, and he went out as a conqueror in order to conquer. When he opened the second seal, I I heard a second living creature say, Come. Then another horse went out, a fiery red one. And its rider was allowed to take peace from the earth. So that people would slaughter one another. And a loud sword was given to him. And when he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come. And I looked, and there was a black horse. And its rider held a set of scales in his hands. Then I heard something like a voice among the four living creatures say, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius. But do not harm the oil and the wine. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come. And I looked, and there was a pale green horse. Its rider was named Death. And hell was following after him. They were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill by the sword, by famine, by plague, and by all the wild animals of the earth. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, you have given us your word so that we can know what the future holds both for those who know you and those who do not know you. I pray as you peer down from heaven and you know those who have a personal relationship with you and those who will be taken when the trumpet call comes. You know those who will not be taken. And Lord, today I pray that you will put a word in their heart and you will draw them to yourself. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. For 13 years, Deborah and I lived on the Mississippi Gulf Coast. How many times during those 13 years have I been driving down Highway 90 and I've heard thunder in the distance? Before I could see a cloud, before I could see a lightning bolt, I could hear thunder. You know what that thunder told me, Tim? It told me a storm was coming. 
Just prepare. A storm was coming. Thunder generally means a storm is coming. This voice of thunder that we read about this first living creature, it is a warning to the earth that a storm is coming. I want to remind you about the book of the Revelation. The book of Revelation was given to John while on the Isle of Patmos. And some people go, well, how can this be inspired? Well, let me tell you why John was given this word. This message is to serve as a, as a word of hope and encouragement to you and I who know Jesus. To encourage us that He wins in the end. If we are on His team, we win in the end. It's also not just hope and encouragement, it's also a message of motivation. It's a motivation for those who are saved, those who know Jesus. Some of you met Jesus this week on camp. It motivates you. Man, i got friends that I don't want to go through this. Now that I know what's going to happen, I don't want them to go through this. It serves as a motivation for people who are lost. Man, if I'm lost and I'm left, look what happens to me. You see, Jesus gave us this message so that we would be prepared for the end. I'm just telling you, it's not a fairy tale. It's not a myth. It's not somebody made, something somebody made up. It's His Word. So what I want to do this morning, I want to catch us up a little bit. Okay? I want to catch us up a little bit. I want to give you just a, the... The revelation in a way that you can get your head, your head and heart around it. I'm going to do it like a movie. Everybody likes movies. Scene one is found in chapter one. John is on the Isle of Patmos all alone. Talking about God setting the stage for, for John to hear he was there all, his long, all alone. Jesus revealed himself to his glorified self. To John. John saw the glorified Jesus walking among the churches, and he knew that he was. He was told that he was the one that was alive forevermore, the first and the last. He was the one who held the keys to death and hell. And John heard the words of Jesus. Jesus said, here's what I want you to do, John. I want you to write down this message, and I want you to send it to the churches because the churches need it, and people need to be ready for what's going to happen. Scene 1. Scene 2, chapters 2 and 3. Those letters that, that Jesus said, I want you to write and give to the churches, chapters 2 and 3 are the churches on earth. Those seven churches represent every church that has ever existed. Jesus gave them messages about their sin, about their need to repent. He's trying to get them to turn from the love of the things of this world and love Him and serve Him and follow Him. And, chat, and that second scene ends with Jesus standing at the door and knocking. Wanting to get in. If you will open the door, I will come in. So we see at the end of the church age that Jesus is locked out of the church. And there's no indication anybody opened the door to let him in. What a sad scene. Chapter th- uh, Scene 3 is found in chapters 4 and 5. Chapter 4 opens with John seeing an open door into heaven. And hearing the voice it says... Come up here. Now, I want you to hang on that thought. We've got to come back and develop that in a second. But I want you to know what else they saw. They saw in, the, in that 
throne room. James, uh, John was there in the throne room and he saw someone on the throne. None other than God Himself. And in the hands of God, He held the title deed to earth. We call it a scroll. It is sealed up with seven seals like the legal documents of that day. And you had to be the right person to, to pop those seals. And they looked all around heaven. Who would open the seals so that earth could be reclaimed? And John wept because there was no one worthy. And then the Lamb appeared. You can see him. He appeared. He walked across. And he goes and he takes the scroll. And what do we see there in in chapter 5? When he takes the scroll, we see Eric all of heaven bowing down and worshiping. We see a picture of worship like we don't see in churches. They were bowing down before him. They were raising their hands. They were singing. They were giving him honor and and glory that was due him. So let's back up. Before we get to the scene four for today, scene three opens with that open door and the invitation to come up here. That is the symbolic invitation that happens at what we call the rapture. Jesus appears in the clouds, and he calls his own. The only one that can hear him are his people. It's a biblical picture that we find in First Thessalonians chapter 4. We find it, Jesus telling about it in Matthew 24. At that point, all the redeemed are caught away. All the unredeemed are left behind. I have to stop and ask this. Are you ready for that day? If it happened right now, if the preacher disappeared... I used to tell my pastor that I was so full of it, that I was so full of the Spirit. I was a music director, and I go, Preacher, if the rapture comes, you lead the singing. That'll dawn on you later, okay? Are you ready for that day? That Do you look forward to that day? You see, Jesus comes, and He takes all His redeemed out of the, out of the troubles and the judgments that's about to befall earth. When the rapture occurs, God's people and God's Spirit are caught away. Now, folks, you want to be caught away. You don't want to be left behind, probably for at least two reasons. First of all, earth will be no place for you. It won't be a place that you want to be in the aftermath of the millions of Jesus' people disappearing. Can you imagine the chaos Young children are gone. Unbelieving parents are left behind to look for their children. Husband is gone. Wife is left. Wife is gone. Husband is left. The impact of so many disappearing causes the world system to begin to disintegrate. As we see the tribulation, that's what the Bible calls it, seven-year period Spoken of almost 50 times in Scripture. Three and a half years tribulation. Three and a half years great tribulation. It's not a place that you want to be after the rapture. The second reason is because after the rapture, the love, the grace, and the Spirit, the drawing Spirit of the 
of the Holy Spirit will be gone. Now some people ask me, Brother Jared, can you be saved after the rapture? I have friends to say no. I have friends to say yes. From my study of God's Word, I think probably some people can be saved after the rapture, but you won't be. But you won't be. Why do I say that? For two reasons. The first reason Paul wrote about in his second letter to Thessalonians. Let's read that together. Second Thessalonians 2, 9-12. This is what Paul says. The coming of the lawless one, the Antichrist, is based on Satan's working. With every kind of miracle, both signs and wonders, serving the lie. And with every wicked deception among those who are perishing. They perish because they did not accept the love of the truth and so be saved. For this reason, watch this, here it is. God sends them a strong delusion so that they will believe the lie. So that all will be condemned, those who did not believe the truth but delighted in unrighteousness. You see, folks, it's it's as if God says, you didn't accept my love before the rapture, so I'm going to make it almost impossible for you to get saved afterward. And you go, God doesn't do that. That's not my God. Well, I'm going to remind you, in Exodus, it was God who hardened the heart of Pharaoh so that he might be glorified. You don't tell God what he will and won't do. But there's another reason. We can remove that scripture. There's another reason why I don't believe you'll be saved then if you're not saved now. Today in America, it is so easy to follow Christ. I mean, you don't have to worry about the government on your shoulders. You don't have to worry about pressure from any entity as of yet. In those days, after the rapture, You get saved, it will be signing your death warrant. And as we will see likely next week, it's likely to be the guillotine where they behead you. Nobody's going to be jumping stumps to be saved at that time. You see, folks, today is the day of salvation. Don't delay walking with Christ, serving Christ, following Christ. That's the first three scenes. So now we get to scene number four. Scene number one, the Isle of Patmos, John. Scene number two, the churches with the letters. Scene number three, chapters four and five, the rapture and the throne. Scene number four. Now, at scene number four, I would suggest to you that if it's a movie, that the producer would either make it a split screen or he would make it a picture in picture, where you have the big screen here and the picture in picture over the side. We can do that on our, on our streaming. And here's what I want you to see. On the big side of it would be what's going on on earth. And on the little picture, what's going on in heaven. The big picture represents the chaos. You'll see the chaos on earth. And the little picture would be the calm in heaven. So get that picture in your mind. Jesus is holding the scroll. It's the owner's deed of earth. You have to have an owner's deed if you're going to renovate something. He's about to do a work. 
And as we see him take his thumb and put it on that first seal, the living creature with the voice of thunder says, Come. Now the King James says, Come and see. This really, and see is not there. Implication is, Come over, step closer. I want you to really see what's going on. And he snaps the first seal. Scripture says there's a white horse. What I'm going to tell you is that the time for judgment is over. Excuse me, the time for peace is over. The time for uh, salvation is over. Now it's the time for judgment. He snaps that seal. See See the white horse. And I want you to see what I'm calling the deception from the white horse. Why do you call it a deception, Brother Jerry? Because, because most people, most people would see that as Jesus. Jesus appears in chapter 19. I want to, I want to just give this as much personal as we can imagine. In the aftermath of the um, rapture, in the aftermath, everything falls apart. There's chaos. There's confusion. There's struggle. And it's into this struggle that the white horse rider comes. You see this white horse rider that you would look at and go, maybe go, go this is Jesus. No, it's not. You see, he's on a white horse. He's given a crown. He's not given a kingly crown. He's given a conqueror's crown. That plays right into Satan's hand. He's given a bow, which is a, a military instrument, but he's not given an arrow. So the only thing he can do is smooth talk his way in and, and be a diplomat to bring peace to the troubled world. He comes down and he brings peace to the troubled world. This guy is a poor imitation. He's a counterfeit. He's a knockoff. He's not God. Satan empowers him. And he does. He brings peace. And everybody thinks he's a superhero. They just love what he's doing. Satan has empowered him, which makes him the master counterfeiter. This rider has come to a troubled earth to trouble her with his deception. Paul calls him the man of sin. John calls him the Antichrist. But listen to He comes to meet a felt need. The world needs peace. He's regaled as an imperial leader. Someone that people will follow. And peace comes. But listen. The peace that he brings does not satisfy everybody. There will be dissenters. There will be people who push back. And he's not going to have that. So now look back in heaven. Jesus now opens the second seal. And we now see the danger from the red horse. You see, the the white horseman has come and he's brought peace. I, I read one writer that said, here's the deal said, he came and he brought peace to the world. 
the world is at peace and then people begin pushing back. He's not going to have that. So he is going to demand peace. So he jumps horses. He gets now to a horse of a different color. He goes from the white horse to the red horse. And this same individual who's leading the world, now instead of just letting peace and talking about peace, he has to have peace. But he's going to establish in another way. He brought peace from chaos. And now as people push back, he cannot, he cannot live with failure. So he enlists everybody. Oh, by the way, when he was doing his peace thing, he probably disarmed all the people. So they couldn't, so there could be no fighting. So now when people push back and now the red horseman is here, that red means something. It means the blood of the people. If you look there, it tells you that they slaughtered. He was, he was given a sword. If, if you look there in your text, it says he was given a sword and he, he took peace from the earth so that people would slaughter one another. Basically what he does, he empowers people. He turns them against themselves. And, and people kill. Basically, it is civil war. We don't know anything about a civil war. You think back to the 1850s. Brothers were fighting against brothers. Friends against friends, neighbors against neighbors, people were being killed. I thought about this as I prepared this. I thought about Mr. Howard Bennett, a friend of mine in Florida that's now dead and gone, Frank Swanner. They, they charged the beaches of Normandy. And both of them would tell you that the ocean ran red with the blood of American soldiers. The freedom of the world was bought with the blood of Americans. Here's what I'm telling you. The world runs red with the blood of innocent people. Jesus is in heaven. It's a mess on earth. Peace. War. And Jesus pops the third seal. And we find the deprivation for the black horse. I say deprivation because, because it's no secret. Watch this. You have peace. You have war. And what follows is famine. The land and the people have to heal up from the, the fighting. If you look in your scripture, it says that he held a set of scales in his hand. Indicates that there's starvation. And then he heard something like the voice of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius and three quarts of barley for a denarius. You know what that says? That says that you're going to have to work all day just to eat. Those scales symbolize starvation. By the way, for all those who fixed income subsidies, Social Security, all the rest will long since have departed as the government has broken down. This will be devastating to the middle class. It will be devastating to the lower class. But you know what? They protect the upper class because you read that last sentence. Do not harm the oil or the wine. That's the food for the rich. At this point, starvation, sickness, poverty, and pain will be rampant. You know that picture? Back in heaven, Jesus pops the fourth seal. And we see a pale green horse. 
And we see the death from the pale green horse. Now, depending on what translation you read, that just says pale. could say asher, ashen. Pale green, Todd, sounds pretty real to me when he starts talking about death. Having worked in the funeral home a couple of years and EMS, I've seen my share. You see, the truth is, you see this progression. You have peace, you have war, you have famine, which leads to death. Can you see it? It's, it's nasty. Scripture tells us that a fourth of the earth, 25% of the earth, will die during this time. They will die from war, the sword. They'll die from starvation, the famine. They'll die as a result of sickness, as a, re- as a result of malnutrition and lack of basic needs. Some will die by wild animal. Now, there are some people that believe that the world will be so cursed that the animals will kind of go crazy and start feeding on humankind. That might be the case. I don't have enough evidence for that, but I can give you another logical is that the famine hits the land so hard that there's no food in the wild for the animals. So they go scavenging wherever they can find it. When there's no food that they can find, they go to town. And they return to their baser nature. And they begin to attack humankind. One small note. It says a fourth of the earth. Do you realize how many that will be? I just looked it up this week so I could tell you. As of 2022, we have 7.9 billion people in the world. Even if we have 0.3 billion, the few that will go to heaven, you're still talking about between one and a half billion and one and three quarter billion people that die during this time. Not a pretty picture. Some people will say, Brother Jerry, how could a loving God allow this to happen? I don't believe it. God is love. He won't let something like that. What kind of God would do this? Can I just tell you what kind of God would let this happen? We're almost through. The God who loved us enough to create us To live forever. The God who loved us enough to put his mouth next to Adam's and blow into that mouth the breath of life. The God who loved us even when we turned our back on him in sin and disobedience and walked away from him. He still loved us enough to make a way for us back to him through Christ Jesus. He he is the God that has not given up on us. He is the God that gives us grace and wants to buy us back. He is the God that wants to spend time and eternity with us. And with all He's done, I'm not done. Are y'all listening? With all He's done, He is the God whose efforts to save us from this judgment have been repeatedly rejected. Rejected. 
In fact, I'll just say this to every person in this room and those listening by the way of stream. If you go through this time, if you miss the rapture and go through this time, you literally will go over the Lord's dead body. And many will make that decision today. I don't know if you can hear the distant thunder, but it rings in my ear. I don't know if you can hear the horses, but it kind of rings in my ear. I will tell you one other thing that God is. What kind of God He is. He has done all that He's done to draw you to Himself. And He still lets you make the decision to reject Him. Honestly, if Jesus had been my son, I wouldn't have given you a choice. The distant thunder is on the horizon. Years ago, I heard Jay Strack make this statement. He said, he was a youth camp. He said, guys, with this thing of Jesus and eternity, you're playing games and Satan plays for keeps. Are you ready for the day? Let's pray together.